Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. And how I got into compassion... Um, it's kind of a, a kind of wild mix of different things that all kind of connected. I was a counterintelligence agent for the United States Army. Uh, my job was to either catch Soviet spies or give misinformation to Soviet spies here in the United States. And I just remembered that the best agents were the most compassionate agents. It was opposite of what we see in James Bond movies and you know the blow them up type movies. Right. And I got I got to ask. You know, somebody. I was just a low-level agent, counterintelligence agent, and and a few years ago, I was able to ask a really a, an amazing person, Sir Richard Dearlove, the chief of MI6, and I was writing my book, The Compassionate Achiever, and I thought I wanted somebody who would op make an argument that was opposite of me, and I thought he would be that guy, and so the short story is, is I got to interview him over lunch, and he he told me that I was on the right track. And at first I was disappointed. I was like, ah, oh, I wanted to have an argument, you know, and, and a debate to see how far this would go. But he, he told me something that I, I'll never forget. And he, um, he said to me, he goes, the best agents are the most compassionate agents. And he, and he, and he, he explains how about how compassionate agents can connect with people they're interviewing and they're trying to cultivate better than those agents who are trying to get torture. And, and this is what he said to me that he goes, the most compassionate agents get the information we need in order to stop a threat. But the agents who use, quote unquote, enhanced interrogation or torture, they get the information they want. And Tyler, that's a big difference. Wow. Right? Getting the information you need compared to the information you want. And I think we forget that sometimes in our haste to try to get to the end of something. How you day, how you day. That was the voice of Chris Cook, and as you can hear, we're talking about compassion. This is no secret. We are all experiencing what we're experiencing with the COVID virus today, and it looks like for the foreseeable future together. But the topic that Chris and I dive in today is compassion, how to find it, how to develop it, and how to basically become the best versions of ourselves. And there's a saying that he said, and he used this to end the episode. It's one of my uh, favorite ways to ever end an episode. And he says, everyone can teach you if you're willing to learn. Everyone can teach you if you're willing to learn. And so I hope that today, as you listen to today's podcast, you're willing to learn and you're willing to create spaces for others to teach you things. Okay. 
uh, you, you can get his amazing book in the show notes. It's going to be linked there. So make sure that you you, you uh, grab it and you read it and you communicate with him. Please feel free to connect with us on social media. Tweet at us, email us, you know, send us LinkedIn messages. Uh, we're more than happy to respond. I love you all, truly, and enjoy the episode. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of As Told by Nomads, and today's guest is Chris Cook. Now, Chris is a professor of political science at Western Connecticut State University, the director of Western's Kathwari Honors Program, founder and director of the Center for Compassion, Creativity, and Innovation, and the founder of the Western's debate team. He's also an author and has studied the word compassion and the theme compassion and everything related to compassion um, <laughs> for a lot of his life. And I was just telling him before the show, I don't think we could have a more appropriate time to discuss compassion as we're all dealing with the effects of the coronavirus. So I'm very excited to learn about his journey and how he got to where he got to. Welcome to the show, Chris. Oh, thank you, man. Thank you so much. And it, I just saw a meme popped up before we were even going on air about we need to make sure we stock up on compassion. So I think you're right. Your intro is dead on. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it is true. I mean, I, I think one of the things that I'm even, um, you know, reflecting on the most and I find myself doing this more than than normal because when I talk to my friends that it's not what they're thinking about. I keep thinking about the people who are not as privileged, the people who are disabled, the people who are, you know, in small businesses, I'm a small business owner, and people who just are affected in a myriad of ways. And I can't really explain why my thought keeps going to, to that area, because it's almost like, it's not almost, it's like a mirror has been presented in front of us where we just have to look at who we are as a world and who we've been and how many people we've neglected. Yeah, like a, you know, that's a yeah. great way to phrase it. Um, the, the idea that you know, it's a reflection in the mirror. There's one of my favorite songs from the 1980s when I was in the military um, came out and it was I Go Crazy by Flesh for Lulu. And mm. there's a line in there that goes, I, I see my reflection in the mirror, my face in the mirror, but is it my place in the mirror? And I think right now the reflections are no longer reflections. Literally, we are now all in the mirror of everyone else. And so this idea, I think of you going and thinking of people who are not as fortunate as we are in terms of mobility and getting around, I think we're all facing this idea that we all are limited in some capability uh, yeah. without without others, right? right? And so this interconnection we have with others is so important in terms of being human. And now we have to isolate ourselves uh, away from each other with social distancing, I think it gives us the sense of what it's like to have this idea of being human and finding a way to connect in different ways. I, I think this is just a, a new way of finding a way how we can connect. And I think we're going to come out stronger for this. I, I, I think so too. And But the interesting thing though is as we're going to come out stronger, we do have to understand that there are a lot of people hurting. And yes. And that part is something that I, I want to be able to, I don't know, what I can't, you know, I'm, I'm, a little, I'm at a loss for words here. Um, I'm just trying to figure out how to be able to hold space for the people who are dealing with a lot right now. You know, I saw I saw a tweet the other day, and it was a travel writer that I follow, and, and her tweet was along the lines of something like this. She says, you know, I just got a job. I'm going to fly to get it. I, you know, you all can judge me, but I need the money. I'm really worried. 
you know, that was a tweet. Now, yeah. uh, two weeks prior to that, I'm sure she wasn't thinking about any of that. It was she was just, you know, it's a freelance, all that. She knows that she has assignments. But once everything got canceled, everyone that is affected that is not in a you know standard nine to five job starts to realize just how things can be taken away from them. And then, of course, you have, you know, people that don't want school to be canceled because it's the only way to get food, international students. You know, they can't just travel because of, you know, they're essentially homeless for the time being. And I wonder what we can do. You know, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think that's your last question is is really the key, because I think if you're it all depends on how you're holding space, because there's this difference between empathy and compassion. Right. And Mm -hmm. empathy is when you're holding space and you're feeling like you're going down in the hole. And I think that's dangerous because then that leads to, that can lead to depression. It can lead to you feeling lost and confused. Compassion is about doing something for others, right? right. And so there are, um, I, I've just seen drives of people um, going out in their communities, separated six feet apart, but having food drives for the elderly in their communities. So they're out on their corners and they're having a food drive for the elderly that can't get out. And they're using social media finally for something good, for connecting with people who can't get out of their, their homes and can't get to the grocery stores. And, and that's just on the individual level. And now I just saw there are grocery store chains that are just having time for the elderly to come in. So there's no sure. pushing and no shoving. Yes. So. I think what we have to do is we is, is really answer your last question. What can we do? And find innovative, unique ways to move us forward, to make us stronger. And yeah. so to see those this morning pop up across my social media feed, I was actually quite proud of, yeah. you know, it was the opposite of the toilet paper scenario, right? <laughs> of, of panic buy, buying. Now we have people actually having compassion going out to the street corner, to the grocery stores. I mean, it's, it's pretty cool. It's funny. I was listening to your talk. You've been you've been beating this drum for the longest. I mean, I'm sure. I'm I, yeah. Sometimes when you are on stage, I'm sure you are probably seeing glazed eyes or people like oh, this, guy, <laughs> this guy. But now, but but you've, you've been saying compassion is the key to success for the longest time. I mean, I was doing research, and a mutual friend is the one that introduced us. But I've seen things you've written or interviews you've had in Psychology Today, which date back a couple of years ago before that. And it's the same thing you've been saying. And I do know that we do get you know into ourselves. So, um, for, so, so that I can give the audience just a glimpse into who you are, I wonder if you could take us back to your earliest memory and what led to you going down this path of studying compassion and teaching people how to be compassionate achievers. Yeah, I mean, wow, by you asking what my earliest memory was made me realize the way I see the world is a bit different. So my earliest memory actually is I, I'm a New York City kid. I played stickball and stoop ball, and you know I'm uh, I'm from I'm from the Bronx. And even though I don't sound it, right, I don't have that accent. <laughs> the, um, my earliest memory is being up on the apartment building where I was living, and I remember being awed by the fact that the world seemed so small. And as a little kid, I thought it was so big. But from the top of the apartment building, I felt like I could see the entire world, even though I couldn't. I felt like I could, and all the people were just small, but I saw us all interconnected. I could see actually the streets and how they all connected with each other. And as a little kid, 
that blew my mind. And I, I remember thinking that everything's connected. And from a little kid's point of view, when you're on the ground and you're like three years old, you think you're it. And I remember getting on top of that building and saying, wow, we're connected in more ways than I ever dreamed of. And how I got into compassion, um, it's kind of a, a kind of wild mix of different things that all kind of connected. I was a counterintelligence agent for the United States Army. Uh, my job was to either catch Soviet spies or give misinformation to Soviet spies here in the United States. And I just remembered that the best agents were the most compassionate agents. It was opposite of what we see in James Bond movies and, you know, the blow them up type movies. Right. And I got, I got to ask, you know, somebody, I was just a low level agent, counterintelligence agent. And, and a few years ago, I was able to ask a really, a, an amazing person, Sir Richard Dearlove, the chief of MI6. And I was writing my book, The Compassionate Achiever. And I thought, I wanted somebody who would op, make an argument that was opposite of me. And I thought he would be that guy. And so the short story is, is I got to interview him over lunch and he, he told me that I was on the right track. And at first I was disappointed. I was like, ah, oh, I wanted to have an argument, you know, and, and a debate to see how far this would go. But he, he told me something that I, I'll never forget. And he, um, he said to me, he goes, the best agents are the most compassionate agents. And he, and he, and he, he explains how about how compassionate agents can connect with people they're interviewing and they're trying to cultivate better than those agents who are trying to get torture. And, and this is what he said to me that he goes, the most compassionate agents get the information we need in order to stop a threat. But the agents who use quote unquote enhanced interrogation or torture, they get the information they want. And Tyler, that's a big difference. Wow. Right? Getting the information you need compared to the information you want. And I think we forget that sometimes in our haste to try to get to the end of something. And so that woke my myself up even more in terms of the compassion. But then I had a chance to host the Dalai Lama on our campus. And that's when I did my full dive because I, I wanted to prep. It takes about anywhere from three to five years to get his holiness to campus. And so I had plenty of time to prep and to find all the different ways that compassion is, is so powerful and so strong. And from my military days to my doctoral dissertation on uh, water scarcity issues to, you know, understanding what happens in the brain when you think compassionately, I, I just, it, it flipped over everything that I was told, but it just reinforced everything I was doing. And just as an example of that, of what I mean by that, I was told that Charles Darwin said survival of the fittest, right? And you had to be the most ruthless, the strongest, the nasty, nasty. Right. And my coaches, my drill sergeants, my bosses all said that. And I just didn't feel right to me. And, you know, I remember, you know, one of my coaches saying, cook, you're too nice. Don't help somebody up off the football field, right? When you knock them down. It's like, no, it, you know, the play happened, move on. And what we found, what I found out is that Charles Darwin never coined the phrase survival of the fittest. It was a guy named Herbert Spencer. And a matter of fact, in the descent of man that Darwin wrote after years of his research, he actually argued the opposite of what we consider survival of the fittest. He basically argued that it's survival of the kindest. 
And it goes on to explain why that's the case. He said, the species that will move up the evolutionary ladder the most efficiently and effectively is the species that will have the highest number of its members as, and this is his word, sympathetic to each other. Why? Because they would help each other out. They would have each other's backs. In times of distress, like now, they would help each other move forward. Mm -hmm. And I think it's the communities that will help each other out, the individuals that will help each other out that will come out stronger than this. The communities that are focused just on the individual side, just on your own personal side, are going to come out weaker for this, uh, through this. And so Darwin even explains this. And so, you know, that's a kind of a whirlwind, you know, kind of my little personal bio, but also kind of conceptual bio of the compassion. First of all, thank you for doing that. I, I love the path you took us down because, you know, we talk about, you know, you said you served in the military, you're counter you know, intelligence agent. I watch a lot of TV and a lot of, you know, if anyone, <laughs> anyone who watches a lot of TV knows that TV shows are either about law enforcement, you know, medical, or, or, or maybe a, they'll be like a superhero show or a slice of life type of show. But it's a lot of, you know, either it's the FBI, it's the CIA, it's the cops, it's the, you know, all that. And what is shown a lot of times, I'm sure there's some, obviously some truth to it, but you also see people trying to get information from other people and people reacting to threats in different ways. And then there's that tough, tough boss who's like saying, get it by any means necessary. So it was interesting for me to hear you say that there's a distinction between getting what you want and what you need. And when you're in counterintelligence, I mean, it's all about getting information. I wonder right. if, yeah, I wonder if you can uh, share some, I guess, transferable skills for people to get information from others, because that's part of connecting. You know, one of the things I study, you study uh, compassion, I study connection, and I've been doing that they're for- They're all, they're, yeah? they're tightly intertwined. And, and, I, and I was about to say that, I was about to say, and the, the, the thing that I've noticed is that there is, it's, it's, there's, a, there's an intersection there, but information is key to connection in many instances. Yeah. So I'm curious if there's, I don't know, there are one or two things that you could share for the audience who was thinking about, I don't know, they're a salesperson, they're, talking to someone from another culture, their parents, their friend, what are the things that they need to look for as they're trying to get that information from someone in a compassionate way? Yeah, well, and I talk about this explicitly in the book, and I have three chapters for each skill. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I call it LUCA, L-U-C-A. Right. The first, the L and we'll, I'll talk just about listening, but basically this is it. Uh, Luca is listen to learn. That's the L. Yeah. The U 
is understand to know. You got to understand how another person sees the problem because you may see the problem differently, right? So you got to get their perspective on the issue. That's understand to know, understand to know how they see it. C is connect to capabilities. Sometimes you don't have the capabilities to resolve the problem. So you got to connect them to someone who does. And then A is act to solve, actually walk them over. So let's just talk about what I think is the most important one. It's the most important for a leader. It's the most important in a relationship. And that is listening. That's the first step in compassion. We live in a society that listens to reply, not listens to learn. Mm. We need to slow down and and listen to our, ourselves. And so one of the ways I, I do that you know, and this is just a quick example, is in class, I use the Socratic method in, in my courses. That means I use a lot of questions. So as a professor, if you use a lot of questions, you actually have to be quiet. And so I have two things that I do. One is I put my finger over my lips, like, shh. That's for me to remind myself to be quiet. <laughs> in other words, to shut up so that students have a time to digest the question, reflect on it, and answer. And as a backup, I always have a glass of chocolate milk. So I sip my chocolate milk, That'll be, that takes time away. Because we, we are brought up in a society that we want, it's me snapping my fingers, right? Snap, you gotta go quick. And I think a lot of times we miss the really important information because we're going by too fast. We're looking for the efficient way, and the efficient way of doing something is not necessarily the effective way of doing something. And so the effective way for me is to listen. So the most important skill is to listen to learn. And one of the ways I practice that is that I listen to podcasts that I am diametrically opposed to. And my goal is to try to get through the entire podcast without shutting it off or arguing with it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? It's just trying to learn how to listen, right? And I think that's the most important skill any one of us can have. That's interesting because, you know, so we both have books, by the way, um, uh, Chris's book is called The Compassionate Achiever. How Helping Others Fuel Success. And we're going to put that in the show notes, so you can definitely get that. And I love his method, Luca. Um, I have, in my book, I have three methods to connect, and I, it's three steps, and it's educate, don't perpetuate, instead communicate. Now, in the education uh, piece, there's a whole section on listen, and I say the same thing. Most people listen to um, respond, and they don't listen to learn. And so we need to listen to learn, evaluate, and understand, as opposed to you know, listening to retort. And it's an interesting perspective because there's a subtle difference with listening and active listening, right? Or deep yes. listening, where you, you are truly just taking in information and asking open-ended questions as opposed to, you know, leading questions. You know, that's the other way of, of, of listening. And even if you don't agree, just getting that perspective into why someone sees the world the way they see it, gives you insight into what's important to them. And when then when you have what's, you know, that information of what's important to them, you know, then you can figure out how to come to a decision that maybe both of you can mutually agree on, which is very, very humbling if you think about it. (laughs) It is. It Uh, is. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Uh, So so there's that then, but then you then decide to come back, right? So you're no longer an agent. 
you're no longer in the military. How do you transition to civilian life? Yeah, that's actually really hard. And so the military has, I believe it's still six months. So once you leave, you have six months, if you want to come back in, to come right back in, right where you were, with your full rank and everything else. So it's obviously a problem coming back into society. And one of the things that, as a veteran, you see right away that's a slap in the face is the incivility that is in our society compared to what's in the military. So just as an example, in your unit, and it could be your unit, it could be your platoon, it could be your squad, it could be your company, your battalion, your division. What's really wild, people I didn't even know on base, I used to restore cars. And so when you restore cars, they tend to break down as you're restoring them, right? <laughs> you're driving them and, and break down. On base, the first car that comes my way always, always pulled over and said, hey, do you need any help? Yeah. And it was it was it was wild. Not one car ever passed me by without rolling down a window. If I needed a jump start, needed a push. If it was a standard, you know, and I stored a lot of standard cars. Right, all I needed was a push to to get going. When I got out of the service, and I'm just gonna not gonna say the state. I just went up to the northeast. The first time I broke down, I was given the bird by almost every driver, including <laughs> someone who was wearing a, a priestly collar, right? <laughs> <laughs> right? To get my piece of effing junk off the road. Not one person pulled over and asked me if I needed a push, a jump, or anything like that. And I remember going home to my wife. I'm like, I'm really thinking about going back into service. And I gave her you know, that example. But it, it, it happened in many different, it happened in the grocery store aisles, for God's sakes, without the coronavirus. I would I read the ingredients in whatever I'm going to buy, and literally I got pushed into my calves, a shopping cart, by an older person who said I was taking too slow and going too slow. Uh, it, so in the military, on the, the 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 PX, it never happened like that, it, never. And so this idea of coming into a society where a lot of people don't have your back, it's startling to you, especially as a service member, because you're it's ingrained in you that you're a team yeah. all the way up the ladder. And, you know, with people you politically disagree with, right, and you have debates over MREs, but when it came time to go, everyone, even the people you vehemently disagree with, you could rely on them and trust them. And, you know, in society, we don't have that. We've lost that. And I think we need to bring that back. And I think compassion is a, is a key for unlocking that civility that's out there, right? And I think it's one of those ways. It's not about what you say. Compassion is all about what you do. What you do, yeah. And also, I've been able to, I mean, there's the definition of that. I don't know if you agree or disagree with this. There's a definition of compassion that says being able to connect with other people's suffering, <clears throat> other sufferings. What do you think about that? Well, it all depends on how you mean by connect. If, if connect means an understanding, yeah, right, then I get it. But if you're going to feel their suffering, we know that that's empathy. That's not compassion. And you can have compassion without having empathy. You can understand someone's suffering without feeling their suffering, 
right? And one of the things that brought home to me uh, about this was the uh, Tibetan monks in Tibet who are imprisoned by the Chinese. They, they, when they were released, they say they have compassion for their captors. They don't have empathy for them. They have compassion for them. So this idea of having to try to feel someone's pain in order to understand it, I have a real problem with that because neuroscience shows from Dr. Tanya Singer's lab in Leipzig, Germany, that when you start feeling someone's pain, you actually release neurotransmitters, you know, like cortisol, stress hormone, that's detrimental to you. Your brain thinks you're in pain and releases those hormones, those peptide hormones. So the relevant peptide hormones, but when you think compassionately, you release a peptide hormone called oxytocin, which then releases two neurotransmitters called dopamine and serotonin. And so this idea of connecting is really important, I think, and it gets overlooked. If it's connecting by feeling the pain, that's problematic. And a lot of nurses are highly empathetic. A lot of teachers are highly empathetic. First responders are. And that's why we have high burnouts, I believe, in those fields. Because you can train yourself to have an understanding without having the feeling of their suffering. Because sometimes that feeling of suffering can paralyze you from any action that you're doing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. And for, frankly, for me, that's been a balance that I've had to navigate because I go back and forth with um, my ability to feel and, and connect. Uh, compassion is one of my five core values. I always try to make sure I live my core values every day and I have five of them. But I do find myself sometimes going into what you're saying as well, where I, I'm, I'm feeling um, a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Because uh, I, I, I even when when the virus started, I was you know you go through the different waves where you ah it's not is it is this it no it's not it's it and then then whoa it is oh late they shut down the NBA whoa Tom Hanks every, <laughs> and then you, then your mom and everybody's calling and then no that's all these things and then I'm thinking whoa people are just sad people are losing their jobs people are getting all these things and and I found myself just you know, in bed one these days not able to get up. I was just in bed, just thinking about all the things that I couldn't do because I felt helpless. And that's to your point. And then I had to, you know, get out of my head and realize that I could do something, which is what you're saying. It was a subtle shift. But yeah, there was a good two to three hours there where I was just laying in bed, just wondering what am I going to be able to do? I feel like I can't help anybody. Yes. Like Uh, you're falling into a hole. Yeah. It's like, (laughs) and, and I've been, I've been depressed before and it was very similar where I was just in bed and I just felt like I was sinking in <laughs> to my bed. Uh, but it, yeah, but that's something I've dealt with uh, most of my life where I, I tend to feel a lot. So um, it's interesting. It's always good for me to remind myself of the distinction. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's the last part of your Luca as well, where you say act to solve, right? Um, right. Yeah. Right. And sometimes, yeah. right. And in that one of the chapters for under act to solve is the act of non-doing. Sometimes the most compassionate thing is to not do something, right? It's to let it happen, whatever that is to happen. So for example, my, one of my sons had vocal cord um, dysfunction and he created severe asthmatic problems where he actually was speaking like Darth Vader and he couldn't get enough oxygen. He spent some time in the hospital with it. And then when he came back, 
um, he was severely bullied. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why that actually happened. And so before he went back to school, I was going to be like the, that dad, you know, that counterintelligence agent dad, you know, go fix it, go get it straightened so it doesn't happen. And <laughs> I'll, I'll never forget that I said, you know, I'll go in, I'll talk to him. And he said, you know, Isa, and Isa is dad in Estonian. I'm an uh, Estonian American. And, um, and he said, uh, Isa, let me handle it. Let me do it. And so he went in. And he did two things that day that were unbelievable for an eight-year-old, eight-and-a-half-year-old to do. He went in and he explained to everybody in his Darth Vader-esque voice that he was the son of Darth Vader, made a joke, right? And it's just going through, he's getting to the light, right? He's moving from the dark side to the light and, and made it so it was interesting and fun for his friends. And then to the bully, when all his friends were around at lunch, he invited the person who put him in the hospital to eat lunch with him as an eight and a half year old, right? Sure. And if, imagine if I went in and tried to set the table, like, you know, a dad who wants to protect his son would do. I, I would have ruined that whole, that whole experience of him, you know, doing something I think is more human than most humans do, right, is to open up and to forgive and to, you know, accept somebody in and not to do what someone else has done to you. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. Right. I mean, I would have blown that. (laughs) Right. And that's the that's what I mean by the act of non-doing. Sometimes it's the hardest thing to do. And it was hard for me. But I'm not going to lie. I was so proud to the point where I cried that that night when I put him to bed. I was so proud, right, that that little boy did such a big person thing that I know many adults couldn't do. Oh, my gosh. You you, you trying to get me to cry now? Is that that what this is? Um, I just told you I feel, Chris. (laughs) Test your compassion, man. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no. that's that's such a beautiful way to yeah I, I guess to wrap this up uh, because that's ah, gosh that's what we need that's what we need um, where where can people find your book and I and how can I connect with you Got it you can find my book on any place that sells a book Barnes and Noble Amazon any local bookstore HarperCollins is the publisher uh, of the book and so they made sure it's went everywhere it's even I was told being translated into Russian right now. So it's uh, literally, you can go online, you can go anywhere, get the book, you can connect with me uh, online at Chris Cook, and that's C-H-R-I-S-K-U-K-K.com or thecompassionateachiever.com. Those are places you can get get in touch with me and we can connect. All right, and um, I always ask my guests this question. It's my final question. My mission statement is, use your difference to make a difference. So Chris, how do you, Use your difference to make a difference. Oh my gosh. I, in so many different ways, as a parent, as a teacher, as a friend, to simply listen, to stop and listen to someone and how they see the world. And boy, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your husbands, everyone can teach you if you're willing 
to learn. Yeah. Everyone can teach you if you're willing to learn. I want to thank you for coming on the show. This has been a, a very, very impactful episode and just a great reminder of just what we can do to tap into our humanity. So I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and highlighting the importance of compassion. Are you kidding me? Thank you for having me on. It's an honor to be on. And I got a shout out to Missy Gluckman who connected us. Thank yes. you, Missy, for connecting us. Thank you, Missy. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you, Missy. Well, um, uh, ladies, gentlemen, and gender nonconformists, till next time, use your difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com.